From Aviva Brands, this is Express, the podcast for brands. I'm your host, Dr. David Kippen, CEO and Chief Strategist at Aviva. Last week, Kate, our Head of Insight, talked about the eight easy ways to measure the work you've done. It was the last episode of Express focused on the two big stages in the life of the brand, expression, where you figure out what your brand's all about. We talked about that in Express 1 to 4, and impression, where you get the word out in the marketplace. That was Express 5 to 8. And it was the first Express we got a lot of response to, at least since our first couple of episodes. Uh, What you said was, kill the reverb, and I need to own that. There actually was no reverb, but our San Francisco office is all hard surfaces, so there's an echo at the best of times, and to keep traffic noise off the podcast, I'd move to our large conference room and shut all the doors, so more echo. Sorry about that, I'll try to keep things flatter from here on in. Anyway, at the end of the last podcast, I said we were going to mix things up a bit from here on in, so for this episode, I'm going to talk about employer branding. Now, If you're from a communications or marketing background and you think of employer branding at all, you probably think of it as some recruitment thing owned by HR. But if you're in an agency, you're more likely to think of it as one of the hottest fields in marketing. It's not as hot as social or mobile, but it's close. Because in this socially enabled, mobile, always-on world we live in, if you're a company, your people are your product like never before. Once upon a time, back in the evil old early 2000s, you could pretty much forget about marketing to employees. You communicated to them through internal comms, or you recruited them through HR. Well, today that's all changed. In virtually every company we know, employees are increasingly central to the brand. They're a key audience in brand launches. They're a sharp focus in company reputation. CEOs spend a lot more time on sites like Glassdoor than you'd probably imagine. They're all over social, all the time. Bottom line, employees are totally out of control, and that's actually exciting. Because if an organization can find the right way to mobilize their goodwill, it amplifies the impact of all messaging. And that impact can be huge. When companies ignore this, the opposite happens, and it's a total disaster. Of course, the main engine of employer branding remains talent attraction and retention. So, though there's a lot to say about how an employer brand adds energy to the master brand, we need to start at the beginning with Employer Branding 101. We need to look at how an employer brand and the master brand work together, and for now, we need to keep the employer brand in a small box. So today, we're just going to look at it in terms of talent attraction, because that's where the value covenant, which is the deal every brand is built around, lies. So if you want to follow along or share this, you'll find it on our blog at avivabrands.com. That's E-V-V-I-V-A, then the word brands.com. Click on blog, then employer branding 101. Okay, so let's start at the beginning. We began the year looking at what we talk about when we talk about brands. Just to recap briefly, because this is important, brands exist to make people take selective action, and that decision's worth something. The difference between a commodity like coffee and a branded commodity like Pete's Coffee is a lot. What it's worth varies from brand to brand, but brand value makes up a large percentage of the intangible value or goodwill companies' shares trade on. So, What's an employer brand? Does the same logic apply? And if it does, how? Those are simple questions, but each of them is a whole lot more interesting than you might think. Let's start with what is it? 
On its face, an employer brand is an extension of the master brand into the employment marketplace. But saying employer brand is just like the master brand but for talent would miss the Alice in Wonderland distortions the employment marketplace makes to brands and branding. There is certainly logic to it. It's a similar logic, but with many parts working backward or in a completely different direction, things get curiouser and curiouser the closer you look. Let's start with a typical branded transaction to make this clear. In, in this one, let's imagine it's the Coyote and Roadrunner cartoon series, and the Coyote buys a branded rocket from Acme, and you'll see what I mean. First, there's a clear price. We never see the price list on the cartoon because it's a cartoon, but we have to assume the Coyote goes to the Acme catalog, flips through to rockets, finds one at the right price, 1995, and decides to buy it. As soon as his check's in the mail, because this is 1948, of course, and people still mail checks, he's completed his branded transaction, right? The deal's done. When his rocket arrives, one of three things happens. Number one, it works as planned. Number two, it's a dud. It doesn't do anything. Number three, it works in an unexpected way, and in the series, that means it blows up in his face. Well, depending on the result, he'll either buy another rocket return the defective rocket and ask for a refund or a replacement, or never buy another one. Whatever happens, it's a transaction around a single purchase. The Coyote's goal in this purchase is to get the best rocket for the least cost, while Acme's goal is to sell the rocket for the highest cost it can. The transaction takes place when both arrive at an optimal price, and the brand value is the spread between the generic rocket and the Acme-branded rocket. Again, Acme wants to charge as much as it can, the coyote to pay as little as he can. This leads to advertising bought by Acme, like, our rockets offer the biggest bang for your buck, to try to increase the coyote's perception of the value of that particular brand of rocket. Now, let's go through the looking glass and look at an employment transaction between Fred Flintstone and his employer, Slate Rock and Gravel Company. In this transaction, everything works backward. The seller is Mr. Slate. He's hoping to get the buyer, Fred Flintstone, to buy Mr. Slate's clams, because that's what they call money in the series. Or more properly, to exchange his time, this is Fred's time, for Mr. Slate's money. Really? Yeah, absolutely. As soon as we accept the ideas of talent attraction, of recruiting, or of the war for talent, we also have to accept that the transaction is inverted. In this transaction, Mr. Slate, the seller, is offering a commodity called clams. But like Pete's, he wants to get the maximum value for his commodity, so he brands them, saying Slate Rock and Gravel Company clams are better because, well, because of something else, something about better benefits, or stronger dinosaurs, you pick. Point is, Mr. Slate wants to sell as few clams as possible, right? So if you remember, Acme wanted to get more money. Mr. Slate wants to spend less, but actually he's selling it, so it's backward. On the other side of the transaction, if he's salaried, Fred wants to buy Mr. Slate's clams for the lowest number of hours possible. So to contrast this to the Acme example, it's exactly backward. You can graph it out. One line, Acme, as many dollars as possible. Coyote, as much bang as possible. Next line, Slate, as few clams as possible. Fred, as few hours as possible. 
This leads to advertising that seems backward too. Acme's ad is something about biggest bang for your buck. It's advertising the value, the best value for your dollar. Whereas Slate's advertising, this is employment marketing, is going to be bigger dinosaurs and better benefits. Now, he's not going to say fewer clams because he really doesn't want to talk about clams. He's going to talk about ancillary stuff, right? That's different. And if you're starting to feel indignant about that, I get it. It sounds like the goal of employer branding is just to use the tools of marketing to screw Fred out of his wages. Well, that's possible, but most of the time, that's not the case at all. And note that while I'm defining a thing that is the employer brand as a noun, I'm not talking about a process. All too often, employer branding is conflated with employment marketing because branding is a verb. It's an activity. And Employment marketing is about the process of gathering impressions for a particular campaign. But here's what I want you to remember. Developing an employer brand is a unique form of brand expression. It's nothing less than the process of understanding, then articulating that brand extension in a word or a phrase, which we call the brand line, then arranging the brand's equities in rank order by location and employee group to support and optimize the effectiveness of that promise. Barney and Fred should be responsive to the same equities, but the folks in accounting and HR at Slate will see their employment through a different lens. They probably won't care as much about bigger dinosaurs. Well, we could talk about that a lot more, and we will, and as I said earlier, this is a very small box. This is just about talent attraction, and that's the beginning of the journey. But for now, I'm going to call this episode to an end and just say, again, we want this to be useful. So whether you love it, hate it, or whatever, please give us the gift of feedback at expressativivabrands.com. That's E-V-V-I-V-A, then the word brands.com. And I promise, no more reverb.